Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. I'm Erica Cruz-Guevara, and welcome to The Bay. Local news to keep you rooted. Well, the federal government says we're done with the pandemic. This Thursday will mark the end of the federal COVID emergency. But the idea that this is all over couldn't feel further from the truth for people living with long COVID. It has taken a major hit on, on my immune system. And this has been a really difficult to climb out of. The quality of life is uh, not something long COVID patients can accept. Millions of Americans who got sick are still living with the consequences in what many are calling a mass disabling event. And the stories of long COVID patients are a cautionary tale of what happens when we're too eager to move on. Today, living with long COVID and what it's going to take to help those suffering from it. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed dot org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.
A lot of people have had COVID. Many millions have recovered. But there are this certain segment of people that have just not been able to recover. They've had symptoms for months, sometimes years. Keith Mizuguchi is a producer for KQED's The California Report. From a medical perspective, most people consider long COVID as someone who was infected and still has symptoms showing three months down the line. One of those people you talked with uh, is a guy named Charlie McCone. Tell me about him and, and his story. So we talked to Charlie McCone. He's in his mid-30s. He's a resident of San Francisco. C-H-A-R-L-I-E-M-C-C-O-N-E. Young, healthy. He biked 10 miles a day, uh, did a lot of outdoor activities. We talked to him in 2021, and that was about a year into his long COVID symptoms. My girlfriend has been my full-time caretaker this whole time, which has not been an easy job. It was at that point that he was really struggling on a day-to-day basis. He had a lot of problems. He had some good days, but he also had a lot of really bad days. I feel like I'm kind of, what's that way, weekend at Bernie's, and I really need two people under both arms carrying me at all times to get through the day. In the beginning, he had the normal symptoms, kind of the cough, the fever. um, He had struggled breathing. And then he got reinfected when the Delta variant was kind of running rampant. And I, you know, I was double vaccinated and I ended up with pneumonia and was hospitalized for, for two days. And ever since then, I have been in a really deep hole. And now he is just kind of living on a, you know, hour to hour basis where he really struggles to do a lot of the normal things that he would have done before COVID. Uh, I have severe fatigue and I have severe cognitive deficits and I can't work. I think, you know, the first year of this was just kind of pure emergency. You're like, okay, the next specialist is going to help me figure this out. And then I think after the first year, I realized that was not going to happen. And the second year was really kind of, I think, just um, abject misery. How many stories are there like Charlie's that you've heard of over the course of the pandemic, Keith? It's in the millions. I think a lot of people looked uh, during the pandemic at people who were leaving the workforce. And part of it was, sure, they um, you know, weren't happy about their job. Uh, they won't get paid enough. But a lot of the problem is people can't go back to work. People cannot function for eight hours a day, even with remote work. And when I talked to Charlie and I sat down with him, I felt really bad, actually, because he's like, this is going to wipe me out for the rest of the day. Mm. And, it, and it likely did. It's like you're doing this having been up for two days and drinking all night and then and then asking somebody to to do something well keith what progress has there been towards understanding long covid and finding ways to treat people uh, like charlie so that they could recover i think there has been a lot of progress in understanding some of the things about long COVID, but there's still a long way to go. Patients who have reported that they have long COVID have reported upwards of 200 plus symptoms, problems with the heart, breathing, the brain fog that I think everyone has heard about and cognitive problems. The problem is long COVID doesn't affect everyone in the same way. And there's not really an understanding of why long COVID affects people in a certain way and a different person in another way. 
There's no real test to say, hey, I have long COVID. Can you, you know, test my blood? It's not like a lot of other viruses and diseases. So the one big issue that a lot of uh, people in the medical field are trying to figure out is what's the root cause of long COVID. But for people like Charlie, their argument and many in the long COVID community say, we're struggling on a day-to-day basis. It would be great to find the root cause, but we really need something that can help with our symptoms so we can live a somewhat normal life. There seems to be like this attitude that we don't want to run in trial until we know this is something's going to work. But isn't the whole point of a trial to try things? And that's what's frustrating. Why aren't we trying things? The NIH was granted more than a billion dollars about two years ago by Congress to research long COVID and research the root cause of long COVID. That two years has gone. And since then, they have not started a clinical trial. They are doing one of the largest studies of long COVID patients. But a lot of that research is going into symptoms and, again, trying to get to what's behind the disease. There are only a few clinical trials that have started for possible treatments. Those trials are probably not likely going to end until, say, the end of the year. And then you have to get the drugs available and the buy-in from the pharmaceutical companies. So a lot of these patients might not have any possible treatment for the rest of this year and into early next year. And A lot of them are just frustrated and they're fed up. Why, Keith, has there been so little progress? I think it's a bunch of things. Obviously, research takes time and medical research takes time. Because especially with long COVID, with people having a different set of symptoms, one drug or one antiviral, one therapeutic may work for one person, but might not work for another person. That's the NIH's main argument and why they haven't started clinical trials is that they're trying to get to that root cause, as we mentioned. And so they can kind of find a therapeutic that will work for a larger population of the long COVID community. The NIH has not asked for more money. Congress seems sort of reticent to offer more money for anything COVID-related now that the federal emergency is being lifted. So it's a real challenge, and it's, I'm not sure if there's going to be any money left for a lot more clinical trials in the research that they're doing. There are a lot of people with sort of lingering long COVID, but they can go about their life. But, you know, there's probably a couple million plus or minus of people who are actually quite disabled from long COVID. Stephen Deeks is a professor at UC San Francisco. He works with a lot of long COVID patients. He says they're just not moving fast enough. Industry engagement so far has been pretty limited. I think what we're going to need is government investments in the clinical trial arena. We have a lot of anecdotal evidence from long COVID patients. A lot of them gather on social media groups. Um, They have like their own support systems. And they have just basically said, we're going to try certain drugs. They're going to try something like Paxlovid, an antiviral like that. If it works for them, they say, hey, this worked for me. Maybe it'll work for you. And so a lot of other patients say, why isn't the federal government doing this? It's an absolute urgency right now to study in a controlled manner all of the antiviral therapies that we have available, including Paxlovid. He's thinking of it on a day-to-day basis where this is going and how this is affecting these people. I want the long COVID world to go back and study what happened with HIV in the 1990s when there was this massive infusion of investments from government and industry. 
and a very effective community advocacy group. This went from a, a fatal disease to a very manageable one, and we need to do that for long COVID. Well, Keith, I want to come back to the people most affected by this. There are people like Charlie, whose lives are forever changed, and many more people who need to be supported until we can find real treatment. So what help is available for people with long COVID? A lot of people have short-term disability, um, either through the state or through their company, their employer. So they can file for that. Once that runs out, then they come into the issue of trying to get long-term disability benefits. That's been a huge problem for a lot of people because a lot of insurers have declined those requests. The patient would have to appeal it, and that's a long process. And it's for people who are struggling day to day, that's a big challenge. So the system, the way it's set up, is not built to actually help people who are sick and disabled. Alison Sprana, she has a post-viral infection. She's had it for eight-plus years. She's also a long COVID advocate and a disability advocate. She says a lot of the people in the long COVID community and the disability community, this has been a problem for years. People with invisible illnesses, with invisible disabilities are not believed. And long COVID is forcing a reckoning with it. And we are very much still in the messy middle of that. And this could have been solved a long time ago by the federal government to have this safeguard and this sort of system in place for the time between when someone can work, when they can't work, and those disability benefits kicking in, still not there for a lot of people. And that's the real struggle for a lot of a lot of folks who have long COVID. Pretty much anyone who works on disability benefit applications is going to advise you not to work at all while your application is pending. So what are you supposed to do when you have absolutely no income coming in? I mean, that's how people lose their homes. That's how people lose their cars. That's how they become homeless. And it's happened for people with long COVID. It happened before the pandemic to many, many chronically ill and disabled people. And it is a huge gap in our safety net. This is affecting the economy. This is affecting the workforce. Where are they going to live if they don't have a job, if they don't have disability benefits? I think the problem is going to get worse and worse because the federal government hasn't really done anything to get that support system in place to help these people. I mean, on that note, Keith, I mean, what should we do? What, what can we do for people with long COVID? I think being understanding that there's a reason why people are wearing masks. They're still concerned about getting COVID or being reinfected. People who are reinfected, they have a greater chance of having really bad symptoms like Charlie. When he was reinfected, their symptoms getting worse for long COVID. There are reasons why people are still trying to do things to protect themselves. Yes, we want to get back to our normal lives. Everyone does. But there are still concerns for this community about everything from being reinfected to, you know, their symptoms getting worse to not having a treatment anywhere down the line. The pandemic is not over just because there's declarations and mandates are done away with. Um, it's still a huge issue for millions of Americans and so many people in California and the Bay Area. 
Well, Keith, thank you so much for reporting on this really important story and for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. That was Keith Mizuguchi, a producer for The California Report, which you can catch every weekday morning on KQED 88.5 FM or on your favorite podcast app. This 24-minute conversation with Keith was cut down and edited by producer Maria Esquinka. Alan Montesilio is our senior editor. He scored this episode and added all the tape. If you're listening to The Bay for the first time, what's up? Consider making The Bay part of your weekly routine if you're looking to be a more engaged citizen of the Bay Area. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we take deep dives into some of the biggest stories facing our region with some of the best local journalists in the game. But we also give love to those smaller, lesser known stories that we know can also have big implications for where we live too. Subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a beat. I'm Erica Cruz Guevara, your host. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.